The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good to see you this morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Kids are almost out of school. Summer is upon us, and we are going to make this a summer to remember. That's now, y'all, y'all got to give me some more feedback. We're going to make this a summer to remember. Whoop, whoop. That's what I'm talking about. I was thinking, what would make it a summer to remember? Speaking of summer, is Summer Graham here? Where is she? Oh, she was here earlier. Oh, she's out there. Oh, there she is, Summer. What would make it a summer to remember? Like, maybe a concert? Maybe the news, the new kids on the block. Who would go to the new kids on the block concert? I mean, how old are these new kids now? I mean, they're like 50, 60 years old. They should be like the old kids on the old block. So she was telling me this morning, she's super excited about going to hear the New Kids on the Block concert. That's not what would make, that would make a summer to remember, but not great memories if it was up to me. Uh, what, anybody have a summer that just stands out when you think, man, that was a summer to remember? Anybody have one of those that you can just say, that was a summer? I mean, it sounds like a, a Nicholas Sparks novel or something, but, but a summer to remember. But when I say we're going to make this a summer to remember, I'm not referring to that kind of remembering the summer not because you're going to have a great vacation though I hope you I hope you do uh, but this summer as we study some of the minor prophets we won't get all of them but we're going to study some of the minor prophets and the main message of the minor prophets the way I'm going to kind of summarize it is remember the Lord the day of the Lord is coming remember the Lord and so what I pray happens this summer is that you uh, are very intentional. You're going to have long road trips maybe. Maybe you'll spend hours upon hours. How many hours did it take for us to drive to Savannah, Georgia one summer? We stopped in Atlanta. So, I mean, it was like two 12-hour trips. I mean, use the time wisely. Be intentional with your time at the beach or your time in the car. Remember the Lord. Use this time, this change of scenery, scenery to remember the Lord. The Lord is so good. He's so glorious. He's so beautiful. He's so gracious. He's so kind. He's so merciful. And we just tend to forget. And so the message of the prophets, theirs is a much harsher message. Theirs is the, Lord, the day of the Lord is coming. Remember the Lord. So I'm giving you a kinder, gentler warning that the summer is here, so let's make it a summer to remember so that we don't face the day of the Lord as a scary day, but as a wonderful day. And that's the message of the minor prophets. We're going to be studying the minor prophets. Let me begin by asking the Lord to help us make this a summer to remember. Lord, I pray that our time in the prophets, I pray that it will be a, a powerful time personally, in families, and that will be in this church, that you will change one life, one family, and therefore change this church this summer as we remember you. Lord, help us to be intentional with our free time, with our vacation time, to not only just rest, but not rest in a sense of rest and don't think about anything, but rest in a Sabbath rest, a rest that is remembering the goodness of God so that we would be recharge truly to serve you, to worship you, and to experience life to the fullest. Lord, do that in us and through us this summer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Zechariah. 
How many of you just had anxiety rush upon you going, I have no idea where that book is. I see that hand. So that's, that's why today's message is going to be a summary, a, a, an overview of the minor prophets, an introduction to the minor prophets. So I threw the staff for a little bit of a tailspin because I've had it planned that we're going to go through Joel. So I started preparing my sermon on the book of Joel. And when I got to the place on my computer screen where I normally know this is about the length of a sermon, and then I usually go about three or four pages more. Uh, when I got to that point, I realized all I've written was the intro. And so I said, I better cut it off and we better have a sermon that is on the intro to the minor prophets because the minor prophets are kind of unknown. I mean, they're minor, right? But they're called minor because they're little small prophetic books and they're not often talked about. They're not often preached on. Uh, they're, they're, they're kind of unfamiliar to many of us. So I wanna spend time setting up the series Um, about the minor prophets. I think that it'll help you kind of know where they are, where they fit in your Bible. And so I want you to know each week I'm faced with a dilemma. Each week I'm faced with a dilemma that I am allotted a certain amount of time and I have to choose, do I tell a story or do I give a little more explanation on how to understand this passage? And most of the time I'm gonna err on, we're gonna make sure that we understand how to study the Bible, because the most important thing that we can do as a church for you is to equip you to read your own Bible, to teach you how to understand the Bible, because we need to understand that the Bible is not meant to be used like a fortune cookie. We don't flop it open, point to a verse, say, Confucius say, that's not how the Bible works. I mean, there are some times where a verse jumps out and hits you at just the right time, and God is gracious to do that for you. But There's so much richness and such a blessing there and it transforms you when you know how to use the Bible. The Bible is one book and the Bible came to us by an editorial team, if you will, to use modern day language that God inspired writers to write the scriptures and each one of them had their piece that was contributed and then the Old Testament that we're looking at today has what came to God's people in a very, very, very dark age. They had been exiled out of the land, just like we saw Adam and Eve exiled out of the garden when they sinned. Israel, the people of God, had been exiled out of the land. It was all hope was lost in their minds. What is our future? We thought God was going to keep his promises to Abraham. We thought God was going to establish his glorious kingdom on earth. And here we are, not even in the land we're supposed to be in. All hope is lost. And so God had his different parts of the Old Testament put together into one book and they shaped it. They, it was like a tapestry or a quilt. Each book of the Bible was put together and sewn together. And so the quilt, each square, when you step back, there's an image on the quilt. And you know what that image is? Jesus Christ, a glorious picture of Jesus Christ. This is my analogy from my years of quilting. I have no idea if what I said is how a quilt works, but I think that's how it works. And so God had the Bible put together so that Christ is pictured in the scriptures so that you don't lose hope that Christ is coming was the message to the Hebrews as they were out of the promised land. The message is very similar to us. Now we have even more squares in the quilt with the whole Bible, old and new, painting the picture that we are waiting for Christ's return. Don't lose hope. Christ is coming.
And so I want you to be able to open your Bibles, whether you are in Genesis or Revelation or anywhere in between, and understand how to read your Bible and study it. So where do the minor prophets fit in? Well, the, the minor prophets are 12 books of your Bible. In our English version of the Old Testament, they're at the end of your Old Testament. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And then it closes, and then you open Matthew 1, and it says, here he is. Jesus has arrived. I have good news. They're called the minor prophets because they're very short. doesn't mean their message is not important. It doesn't mean it's a minor message. It's a very major message, but they're small in comparison to the larger prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But to confuse things a little bit, it's really, really helpful to understand where they fit in the Hebrew Bible order. See, your Old Testament is translated from the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible is the same as your Old Testament, but the way the Hebrew Bible was ordered was based on the themes and content of the books. The English version of those same books were ordered in a different way based on the type of literature. We have the law, we have history, and then we have the poetry, poetry and then we have prophets. They had law prophets writings, and the reason is the law of the prophets, that message is a continuous theme. And so their first five books are the same as ours. And the next, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, they call those the former prophets. We call them history books, but they call them the former prophets. And then after those former prophets came the latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12 minor prophets. And so you have this one consistent story, and when you see the flow of the story, you understand, well, I totally get why the minor prophets are there, why God sent the prophets, and why they are put right there in the book. And so what we're going to do today is understand that story, that theme from Genesis to the minor prophets, and then we know exactly the minor prophets, and that is, remember the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming Remember the Lord. And so I pray it's very helpful in our review today. So we've talked about the former and the latter. And so we see the former prophets, Joshua, Judges, um, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. Now those are called former prophets because those individuals like the judges and the kings God provided as God's messengers to call the people, to lead the people to honor God. So we're gonna review up to there, and we're going to see what God's point is for us today. What did we learn in Genesis? Very briefly, here we go, starting in Genesis. What a surprise, right? What did we learn in Genesis? Tons. But let me just say, the one thing that I want to say that we did in Genesis, we met the covenant God. You know, that's what the creation account is. It's like, hey, you want to know who this covenant God of Israel, this covenant God of Abraham is? He's the creator. And so this Massive concept of God is presented to us. If you are in Christ, you want to know, you want to get to know your God. He is the creator, covenant God, Yahweh, that we read about in Genesis. And the point of it is God is good. He's gracious. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's kind. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And he is proactively entering into covenant to make a plan to redeem and restore his people and his planet from the devastation of sin. That's who God is. Who is God in your mind? 
What is your view of God? Do you think he's some mean God just waiting for you to mess up? That's not the God of the Bible. He is good and gracious and patient and kind and pursuing restoration. And so God does all of that. In Genesis, we learn that's how God is. And then we see God demands one thing from us. One thing can summarize it. And I'm going to use a couple of words. The first way we've kind of described it in the past was trust, right? Trust, just simply trust. If you know this God, surely you will trust that God. And he says, what does trust look like? Well, we saw in the garden, just it looks like enjoying all of his blessings. All that he created was for your enjoyment. And it looks like obeying, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not trust yourself, trust God. And so the picture is this great benevolent creator, worthy of our trust, calls us and expects us to do one thing, and that is trust him. And we will, if we trust him, obey him. I'm going to use a new word that I think is a little more appropriate to the way the prophets speak. And that is God expects one thing from us, loyalty. He expects us to be loyal. All throughout the scriptures, we're going to see God is loyal. He's loyal to his covenant promises all throughout the scriptures. Why is he doing what he's doing? Because he's being loyal to his covenant promises. And he says, I demand loyalty from you. God deserves our loyalty and God demands our loyalty. And that's the message of the prophets, that God has been loyal to you. You should be loyal to him because the day of the Lord is coming and you will be held accountable. So God in Genesis has taught us to remember how loyal he is, how good and gracious he is, and to remain loyal to him. What does it mean to be loyal? Well, we can think if we want to use kingly language or presidential or Congress or constitution or government language, what does it mean to be loyal to a king? It means to swear allegiance to that king, to live according to the the laws of the land, to not give your allegiance to some other king or some other country, but to be faithful and loyal and your actions and your life will be demonstrating your loyalty in your submission to his rule and authority. So that's one aspect of what it means to be loyal to the Lord. It shows up in your lifestyle, your actions, your obedience to the Lord. Perhaps a better analogy of what it means to be loyal is the marriage covenant, right? You enter into a covenant with a spouse and you vow that this spouse will be my only spouse, will be the one true love. I choose to lay my life down for this spouse to cherish, to honor, to to uphold the covenant till death do us part. No matter what happens, richer or poorer, through sickness and health, I will honor this covenant that I've committed to you to cherish you all the days of my life. You, not any other spouse, but you and you alone. I will love you. I will be loyal to you. That's what God says. God says, I love you. I've been loyal to you and I deserve your loyalty and I demand your loyalty. So that's what God's message to us through the prophets. So a big part 
of remaining loyal to the Lord is remembering. How many times have you gotten in someone's truck and you see on the visor a picture, right? You're like, oh, is that your wife? Yeah, that's my wife and kids. Now, why is that picture there? Is that picture there because the old dude in the truck is like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to love them. I need to remember that. That's not what I mean when I say remember. The picture's there because it reminds them of the love that they have for them. Yeah, that's my family. I love them so much. You know where our picture is? You know where our photograph of Jesus, of the Lord is? It's the word of God. And so this summer, I pray that you dive into the word of God and see the picture of Christ and see God in all his glory. And you are reminded constantly of your love for the Lord because you see his love for you, his loyalty to you, all that he's done for you. And it evokes within you, yes, I love the Lord. And it reminds you of his love and your love for him. And it produces loyalty. So that then the day of the Lord is not a terrifying day, but it's a day of rejoicing. That's what we want to do this summer, a summer to remember. So as we come to the end of Genesis, our little review of Genesis, where were we? God had promised in his loyalty. He made a promise to Abraham to do three things. Number one, Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. He says, I'm going to give you so many kids. We're going to, it's going to be a multitude of people, nation of people. And I'm going to put them in this specific land that we call the promised land because God promised to give them that land, the land of Canaan. And God is going to make them a nation in that land. And then there was a third part of that promise where God said, and from your family, all the nations, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And that's talking about Jesus who came from their family line. And so the, the book ends with what? God showing loyalty. He's delivering on those promises. We see steps towards that being delivered. We see Abraham and Sarah who couldn't have kids have 70 living in Egypt God spared them from starvation and the famine through all the crazy stuff with Joseph and all that. And so now we end with them being incredibly blessed. Why? Because God promised he would. And they're in Egypt enjoying all the rich blessings of God. And then Exodus happens. And what happens in there? They become a mighty nation of people. Pharaoh gets freaked out by this. It's a powerful people. He starts to oppress them and enslave them. And all it does is they just get more and more numerous. God just makes them a mighty nation, but they're not yet in their land. They're enslaved in Egypt. So God raises up a deliverer, much like Joseph, to save his people from the famine, to save his people from this slavery. God raises up Moses. He leads them out of, out of enslavement. He leads them across the sea and they come to the mountain where God gives them his will. And he says, this is what it means to be loyal. It's 10 summary statements of what it means to be a loyal. The 10 commandments. Don't have any other gods. Love me and me alone. And so he gives them, this is what it looks like to be loyal in the land. How does that go? That's so good. While he's telling them, don't have any other gods, they're down there crafting up a golden calf, an idol to worship. And so the message of Exodus is this, God is loyal, his people ain't. Bad grammar. They are a stiff-necked people. They're worshiping false gods Listen to Exodus, listen to what it says. Go up to the land flowing with the milk of the honey. God says, I'm taking you to the land flowing with milk and honey, but 
I will not go among you lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. You're stubborn. You're strong. You're strong-willed. You will not do what I said. And so what we see is God says, I'm still going to bless you. Even though you're a stiff-necked people, even though you're not loyal to me, I'm still going to take you into the land of blessing. But we see a new aspect of the relationship. Now God, because of their unholiness and God's holiness, there has to be a protection. There has to be something that keeps them from being consumed by his holy righteousness as an unholy people. Unholy people can't dwell in the presence of a holy God and not be consumed unless God does something gracious and merciful. And he does. In in Exodus, he provides an angel. He says, I'm going to provide an angel that will go between us so that you aren't consumed because I love you. And I want you to experience the promised blessings of the promised land. And so God does that. But then you get Leviticus and Numbers. And what is all that crazy stuff in Leviticus and Numbers? It's God graciously providing a way that unholy people can enjoy the blessings and presence of God. And so what does God give them? God gives them uh, instructions. After the 10 summary statements, they break it. He says, okay, you obviously need a lot more help. And so he gives them detailed instructions of every little aspect of their daily lives. That's why it's so boring to read. Because you're like, oh my word, what is all this stuff? It's just minute detail. God is being gracious. He's not being difficult. He's not being restrictive. He's being merciful and saying, the only way you can live with me in your presence is if I help you out. Here's detailed descriptions of what loyalty to me looks like but they're stiff-necked. There's still problems. And so God gives them a tabernacle. The tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. And the Bible says that it was structured after the dwelling place of God in the heavens. And so there is a separation provided. God's presence is dwelling in the holy of holies. The people of God can't go in there or they will be consumed. But God graciously says, here's how we're going to make this work. You're unholy, but I will allow a priest to sacrifice an innocent animal because blood must be shed for the guilt of your sin. But instead of taking your blood, he says, I'll take the blood of an animal and the priest can take it into the Holy of Holies and spread it over the altar so that my wrath is appeased or assuaged or atoned. But the Bible says, like David says, we know that you don't desire these offerings. They don't satisfy And so there's an inadequacy that we see in these Old Testaments. There needs to be a permanent sacrifice. But at this time, God is graciously holding back his wrath through his atonement sacrifice. And so he gives them the tabernacle. He gives them the sacrificial system. He gives them the priest. And he gives them detailed instructions on how to do this exactly the right way so that God can bless them with his presence. And then we get to Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, what does Moses do? He's got them lined up at the edge of the promised land. They're so excited. This has been the long-awaited promise. God has them. They're about to go into the promised land of blessing. And what does Moses do? He does what I'm doing right now. He reviews every bit of the first four books of the Bible. That's why Deuteronomy means, the name Deuteronomy means the second law or the second giving of the law. He reviews all of that and says, 
remember this when you go into the land. And here's what he says. Listen to these words and have there ever been more poignant words for us. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. He says, when you've lived in the land, take care lest you forget the Lord. Take care lest you forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I've commanded you today. Think about it. Last words. Your kid's about to head off on a trip. And you've got all this stuff. You got your socks, yeah. You got your toothbrush, yeah. You got everything, yeah. Okay, wait a minute. Last thing, do you have your passport? That's the most important. That's what, that's what he's doing here. He says, listen, before you head into this promised land, one last thing, most important thing, make sure you don't forget the Lord. The Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I've commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten, oh, listen to how good the land's gonna be. When you've eaten and you're fat and happy, you're full and you've built good houses and you live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply, and your bank accounts are full, your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. When you've gotten your job, and you've gotten your spouse, and you start having kids, and you've built your dream home, and you've got that next level promotion, and and your first level business starts to multiply, and you are living the dream. And your bank account's getting fat and you finally don't have to worry about the paycheck and you are living it and you're comfortable and you start planning retirement and you start thinking about your vacation home and you start thinking about how you're gonna set up your kids and the next generation. Remember, when you start having all those blessings of God and you are living the dream because God has blessed you, don't forget the Lord. Because the day of the Lord is coming. Because when all that happens, verse 14 says, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. The very one, the very Lord, the very God who brought you out of the land of Egypt the very God who brought you out of slavery, the very God who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with fiery serpents and scorpions and and thirsty ground where there was no water, but that God who, who gave you water from the rock, who fed you manna in the wilderness, who tested you and humbled you that it would be good for you in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart when you review your life and you're living the American dream, beware lest you say in your heart, my power, the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth so that he may confirm 
his covenant. Oh, because he's loyal. That he, the covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and you go after other gods, the gods of pleasure, the gods of wealth, the gods of comfort, the gods of ease, the God of safety, the gods of security, the God of anything other than the one true God who saved you and blessed you. If you go after any other gods and you serve them and you worship them, I solemnly warn you today, you shall surely perish. Just like those nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. All those nations that you saw God wipe out to clear the path so that you might have this land because he's the one true God and they won't worship him. Remember, he will do to you what he did to them if you forget the Lord. You will perish, they will all perish, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. You don't have to raise your hand, but can anybody connect with this passage? I see that hand. What is Moses saying? He's saying when you experience the blessings of God, you have a tendency to choke on it and forget the God of those blessings. May this summer be a summer to remember the Lord. Remember the Lord that we might remain loyal to the Lord. This message from Moses as they were about to head into the land is the exact same message of the prophets after they've been in the land and they forgot the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. Remember the Lord. So that ends Deuteronomy And then comes Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. I didn't say Ruth because in the Hebrew order that I'm going through, those are called the former prophets. Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. What happens in those books? Well, God is loyal. God is faithful. What did he promise he would do? Promised to make them a nation in that land. Joshua 21, 43 tells you how loyal God was. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land he swore to give to their fathers And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side. That's the exact same scene as the garden. The Lord gave them rest in the garden of the promised land. Just as he swore to their fathers, not one of their enemies had withstood them. Why? For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hand. You read these conquest narratives of You know, God intentionally has this tiny little squad taking on massive armies to make it clear. It's in them. This is God doing this for them. God had given all their enemies into their hands and not one, not one single word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Every bit of it. This is the word to us as we wait for the return of the Lord. Not one single promise will, be fail, will fail to pass. All of it will happen, just as he said. The Lord 
The day of the Lord is coming. Tragically, we also see in those former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, as they lived in the land, the latter prophets began to say, you got big problems. Remember the Lord. For the most part, they don't remain, they don't remain loyal to God. Despite Moses' warnings, Israel got fat on the blessings of God and they got forgetful. So picture this with me. The people of Israel who only existed because God spoke a word of promise that Abraham and Sarah who couldn't have kids, he said, you're gonna have kids. They existed only because God spoke them into existence. They're a nation only because God made them a nation. They're in the promised land only because God saved them from slavery, delivered them through desert wanderings of scorpions and dehydration and malnutrition. And he gave them water, gave them food. He led them into the land and defeated all their enemies to set them into the land, the land flowing with milk and honey, this beautiful land of abundant blessings. Those people forget the Lord. We can all relate to this struggle. I don't know where you are, but God's done the same thing for you. Every blessing that you enjoy has come straight from that God. We must never forget this. Super excited about where we are in the the life of our church. Super excited. We have a vision that we're bringing to the membership tonight and members meeting that says we are praying for a movement of God. We are praying that God takes us and sends us out to multiply us, creating a movement of God for his glory, for the transformation of the city. Every bit of that is because God is glorious. We're going to celebrate tonight that we can't believe it, but God is about to expand our facilities. God is about to increase our capacity to reach more families, to see more lives transformed, to see marriages saved, to see families healed. God is doing this. In all of this, though, must we, we must never forget the Lord is doing it. Not our power, not our strength, not our might, not our money, but God has done this. So may this be a summer to remember. We need to heed the message of all the prophets, Moses, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All of them saying the same thing. Remember the Lord your God. First Chronicles summarizes the Hebrew Bible So much of it's a repetition and you wonder, why is this all being repeated? It's the end and it says this. Tells us how we should live in light of all of this. First Chronicles 16, 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds 
among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Multiply his grace and his glory into a movement for the glory of God. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Father God, help us to remember. Help us to remember that you provided Jesus Christ as the substitute sacrifice, the unblemished lamb of God, the final perfect sacrifice for our sins. Help us to remember that this was solely a gift of your grace, your love, your compassion, your mercy, your kindness, your long suffering for us. Oh Lord God, help us to remember that Jesus Christ is our only refuge, our only cover, our only shield in the day of the Lord. That as the dreadful day of the Lord comes, where those who have opposed you and refused to take refuge in Christ will be consumed by your wrath. But for those who are trusting in Christ, And Christ alone, he will be our shield. And that day will be a day of rejoicing. That day we look forward to, Lord, only because of your grace in Jesus Christ. For on the day of the Lord, when you return, it will be a day of celebration, a day of worship, a day that our King arrives and establishes his glorious reign his perfect reign on a new heavens and a new earth where we reign with our King. What a glorious day that will be. And as that day, those who are in Christ will worship eternally our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to sing about now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.